0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Alina Martin
1: and I'm Lucinda Rouse. We're reporters at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. This week we'll be discussing the situation for small charities and the type of support that they are getting.
0: And in Charity Change My Life Later, we'll be hearing from a volunteer about the importance of her association with the Sobel House Hospice Charity. But first let's
1: set the scene for our main discussion. Small charities form the majority of the third sector. 96% of charities have a revenue of under a million pounds a year. So that's 161,054 charities out of 169,077 registered with the Charity Commission in England and Wales as of this week.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's a big number.
1: It's a big number and it it's slightly embarrassing that we are not actually doing more tailored content for small charities in particular, something to consider maybe for the future. However, this week is very much for that large majority. And we decided to run this episode to coincide with small charities week, which is coming up from the 19th to the 23rd of June. And it comes at a bit of a difficult time for the sector with the closure of the small charities coalition last year followed by the foundation for social improvement which took over from the small charities coalition in may of this year both of which closed due to financial challenges yeah so it feels like quite a good time to ask what's next what kind of support is required and who is best placed to deliver it So, NCVO has taken over from the FSI and before that the Small Charities Coalition. And the FSI chair said at the point of handing over to NCVO, we believe NCVO has the capacity and power to connect and collaborate with others. Now, NCVO has made it clear that it won't be delivering all services to small charities, although it has taken over certain functions such as a small charities help desk. And it's also obvious that as a large organization itself, it's probably not best placed to be delivering the support and services that much, much smaller entities are in need of.
0: Yeah, I mean, the great thing about the Small Charities Coalition was that it was itself a small charity. Obviously, this also meant that like a lot of small charities, it struggled to secure its funding year on year, which eventually led to its closure. But it's definitely the case that a big organization like NCVO, who does so many different things, is not best placed to to deliver services for a portion of the sector that is used to this buy small for small approach. Mm.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to hear from our two guests from NCVO and one of the organizers of the Small Charities Week to hear exactly what they think is the best form of intervention and how support can best be delivered going forward. Let's welcome our guests for this week. First up is Vic Hancock-Fell, a consultant and small charities advocate and founder of the social enterprise Fair Development. Vic is a key member of the team organising Small Charities Week this year. Hello,
0: Vic. Hi.
2: Hi good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Also joining us is Sarah Vibert, Chief Executive of the National Council for Voluntary Organisations. She joined NCVO over three years ago from the National Neurological Alliance and started her career in local government management. Hello Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for being here. So let's start from the beginning, right? What is your definition of a small charity? Sarah, if we could start with you.
3: Sure. Yeah. So we would define a small charity in the same way that the Small Charities Coalition defined a small charity. So that is an organisation with an annual income of less than a million pounds. Now, obviously, within that, there's a huge range of different types of organisation, including some with very little income, entirely run by volunteers, right up to a million pounds, where you've probably got a kind of a reasonably sizable staff team. And presumably, the
1: type of support that charities at different ends of that scale need is going to be quite different. How are you sort of balancing that and managing these varying needs?
3: So NCVO has distinct offers for different sized members. As I mentioned already, there's there's a really big difference between running a charity where you've got a number of paid staff versus a much smaller organisation. And so we target our support to different sized charities, very much based on what we're hearing from them on our helpline. We've got four pillars of support at NCVO for small charities. We run the Small Charity Help Desk, which was transferred over from the Small Charities Coalition. We have online help and guidance, which is really tailored to the distinct needs of different sized small charities. We run free webinars and we run those on topics that we're hearing from small charities they want to learn about. So, for example, during Small Charity Week, we're going to run a webinar on fundraising and one on workforce. And we also provide a practical support bulletin. And again, that's segmented by size of charities. So we're really focusing in on the particular needs for the particular size of organisation.
1: And to what extent is there a deviation from what FSI and the Small Charities Coalition were doing? Is it very different that the type of service offering that have under NCVO?
3: So we and partners have done all we can to fill the gaps that were left by the FSI and the Small Charities Coalition closing. So things like the transfer of the help desk. Also, we're currently holding some of the assets for the Foundation for Social Improvement and working with partners to find new homes for those assets And there is a whole range of support right across the sector, including local infrastructure organisations, provide brilliant support for small charities. And I know Vic recently curated this list of what support is available, and that's available on NCVO's website. But there are some areas which I think still remain as gaps. So NCVO can never be by small for small. We're a large charity. And so we've really been working to try and replace that dedicated voice for small that the small charities coalition provided and that's one of the reasons why we set up the small charities advisory panel and our hope is that the two co-chairs Vicky and Ray will be able to start to plug that advocacy gap and sit alongside me and other infrastructure bodies when we're talking to decision makers. I think the other issue is that the small charities coalition did what it said on the tin and so it was described as a lighthouse by the small charity community NCVA is obviously a much broader tent, and so that specific support can be harder to find. So it's one of the reasons we've kept the small charity help desk branding and set up dedicated pages on our website for small organisations. But I think there's more work to do here. And then I think the final gap, really, it'll be interesting to see what Vic thinks, is the sort of networking function that those small charity infrastructure bodies provided I used to run a small charity. I know how lonely it is when you don't have a big team around you. And so meeting other small organizations is so important. And so it's an area we're looking to develop more. But I know that people like Vic are also providing that kind of function where bring organizations together. Yeah. And speaking of
0: networking, this week is specifically dedicated to small charities. It's all about small charities. So I wonder how does Small Charities Week, an initiative like this, how does that fit into this plan? Is it an opportunity for people to get to know each other and know other people in the sector? What other benefits are there?
2: So I think we all really feel like this is a really important small charity week. It's come after the closure of the FSI within a very short space of time. And we are just very grateful that it's happening, actually. I don't think that we thought it would be possible for it to continue. And thankfully Sarah and her team at at NCVO were able to work very quickly and secure some funding from Lloyds Bank Foundation, thankfully, to, to keep it running. And this year it feels very much like a sort of stake in the ground moment. It's kind of like, okay, we've had two of our specialist infrastructure organizations close within the last 18 months. And we now need to come together as a sector and decide what's going to happen next, because we're seeing lots of difficulties. We are up against a difficult landscape and it feels like a really pivotal moment. And so we would like to kind of use Small Charity Week as an opportunity to start having these discussions and start planting seeds for what the future of infrastructure support looks like for the small charity sector. We don't think that we're going to resolve this this week. You know, we're not going to get to the end of small charity. We can say, great, we've got our plan. We know what needs to happen. But it's a really great opportunity for us to start having those conversations. It's a really great opportunity for us to try and reach as much of the sector as possible to say, okay, let's let's recalibrate. Let's rethink. Where do we go from here? And so one of the days, the Wednesday of small charity week, the 21st of June is all about discussion and trying to create those opportunities for discussion among the sector to define those questions like the one you asked at the beginning. What is a small charity? How do we actually define what that is? Who's small charity week four? We've now got community interest companies, we've got social enterprises do we need to broaden out who we talk about when we're talking about the small charity sector? And on the Friday of the week, we're talking about the future. So that is going to be the day where we're going to be really thinking about, okay, where do we go from here? Small charity week is coming to an end. Let's keep the momentum going because it's really exciting to have a dedicated week to celebrate small charities, but it has to keep going beyond that. So for me, small charity week this year is the start of this wider conversation you know, Sarah mentioned that there are some gaps that we know need to be filled and we don't have the answers to that And but we want to hear what the sector thinks and that's how we want to get those answers and Small Charity Week gives us a great opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah a great opportunity to bring this pretty sizable portion at what is it at 96% of charities are have a revenue of under a million pounds, get them together, see what they think. But what do you currently have in terms of an understanding of the need and sort of what are the main priorities at the moment of these smaller organisations?
3: So I think basically you've got layer upon layer of challenges. So cost of living pressures layered upon the challenges of pandemic. And of course, that's following 10 years of austerity. And so what we're seeing is inequalities in communities really widening. And therefore the need which translates into demand on small charity services and then of course in parallel to that the costs of delivering services going up and raising income more challenging and I think that's true of all charities but what's particularly acute for small organisations is that we know from the civil society almanac that smaller organisations are much more reliant on public donations yet we've seen recent research from CAF um, showing how much public donations are now being squeezed as a source of funding because of understandable decisions that people are making about how they spend their money because of cost of living pressures. And I think we, we, what we also see from the Almanac data is that small and micro organisations, so the smallest end of the sector, is getting smaller. So it's declining in terms of the number of organisations and also as a proportion of the sector, while the larger charities are growing larger and I guess the end result of that is what we're certainly seeing from NCBO's membership data now, which is that many more smaller organisations are sadly closing and we're seeing an increasing number of inquiries about closure to our help desk. So as as Vic says, Small Charities Week could not come at a more important time in terms of really advocating for small organisations, but also just showcasing the support that's out there because there is an enormous amount of support out there for smalls.
0: And I wonder, since you both touched on the gaps that are currently there and unavoidable, how does and how will the NCVO empower other organisations in the space to
3: support smaller charities? Are there any plans that you're currently working on? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the kind of main things that we've been working on over the last year has been establishing a small charities advisory panel, which we see is a really important initiative to, I guess, guide NCVO and partners across the sector in terms of how do we fill those gaps for small, what is the kind of changing need in the small sector. But what we're also doing with civil society group partners is looking more broadly at the ecosystem for small charities, particularly with the closure of those two really vital infrastructure organisations. We're talking to funders, we're talking to government and really trying to look at what is the sort of sustainable future for not just small organisations, but the infrastructure that supports those organisations in that part of the sector.
1: And Vic, you're talking about formulating calls for action and, you know, what's next in terms of the plan for supporting small charities? How... Do you see this playing out and how are you going to avoid it just being a talking shop? How is it going to be like really constructive conversation that is going to lead to positive action?
2: I think that people are really fired up for action. There really feels like there's a moment happening in the sector where everyone's sick of talking and now just wants to see some change I don't think that we can achieve that as the small charity sector. Like we need organizations like NCVO to be our conveners and our supporters because it's great to be by small and for small, but we need some support and some infrastructure around us to be able to do that because people who work in smaller organizations, they don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of resource. They're often really stretched. And so we need to have that support around us. We've already got some indication of what people want. You know, I hear it in my day job. I hear it through my work all the time and through the consultations that we did in asking people what they wanted from Small Charity Week. We already started to see what people were telling us. And it's broadly sort of two sides. One is external advocacy. You know, how do we change the landscape that we are in? So that whether that's political advocacy, whether that's trying to advocate for better approaches for smaller organizations from funders or from larger organizations and being more collaborative and sharing learning more with smaller organizations. So we wanna definitely come up with some very specific and concrete calls to action that we can actually try to meaningfully work towards as a whole sector and beyond. But then there's all this stuff to do with how do we actually just survive in the current landscape while we're waiting for that long-term change to happen. And so like Sarah mentioned earlier, that, that connection and the peer support you know we've we've lost some of that through the closure of small charities coalition and the fsi when i was first starting out that is going to their events is how i met my peers so what do we do now when we aren't doing that sort of thing so there's already a lot of great work happening there in terms of concrete outcomes and concrete ways forward we're already all pulling together as a sector in many ways to Support each other to create those opportunities for peer connection. And there is a lot of exhaustion and tiredness and feelings of probably just wanting to go and lie down underneath a duvet and forget about it all. But there is also a lot of rage and anger and people very keen to really kind of stand behind something and work towards some meaningful change. So it does feel like it's a good moment. It doesn't feel like it's going to be kind of lip service, but we do, I mean, this is my view, but, you know, we've now seen that we've got these two specialist infrastructure organisations who were themselves small charities who were forced to close because they couldn't fund that model. And so for me now, I'm thinking, okay, we can't repeat that. We have to think of another way of going forward where we're going to be able to achieve what we're trying to achieve, but we need support from the rest of the sector. So we're going to listen a lot and we're going to, we're going to work kind of beyond the small charity sector with others to try and make these things happen.
0: Yes. And you talk about support from perhaps bigger stakeholders in the sector. Could you briefly explain why having this very flourishing small charities sector is important for the sector as a whole?
2: I've got an interesting perspective here, I guess, because all of my work has been with small organizations. I've never worked in a big charity. I've never worked in a charity with an income of over 250K. So mm-hmm. I I know the value that they bring to communities and, you know, and, and I see the contribution that they make, but I can't talk about the comparison between an organization like that and perhaps a larger organization or, or how, I mean, I think there's an incredible amount of learning to be bubbling up through the small charity sector into larger organisations.
3: No, I mean, just to add to that, I mean, from an NCVA perspective, we're really clear that kind of thriving communities need a thriving voluntary sector made up of all sorts of different organisations of different sizes, national, local, small, large. And clearly, both small and large charities bring different strengths to the table. So smalls are really embedded in communities. They're often far more trusted than statutory services locally. They're absolutely on the front line. They can respond really quickly, whereas larger organisations can bring a much more kind of sustainable infrastructure and often big brands, which also brings kind of strengths. And so, you know, if you look at where some examples of where small and large have worked really well together, like the emergencies partnership, for example, you know, something really kind of magic can happen. I think something I'm hearing from our membership, particularly the larger members, is a real solidarity, actually. So, you know, we we had an event of some of our largest members not long ago, and I asked all of them, would they upgrade their membership to our kind of extra membership, which is really a solidarity membership. So we're asking them to pay more. And for that, they're contributing to a wider sector effort. They're contributing to us being able to support small organisations which cannot pay. And pretty much every single organisation in the room signed up to that which I think does show a real solidarity. And I think we're also hearing large charity leaders really talking a different language of like being systems leaders. I mean, the one that comes to mind is Sarah Hughes from Mind, but there are are lots of others. And so I just think that's really important to think of the sector as an ecosystem and value what different sized organisations can bring and putting communities at the front of that, you know, what's best for communities.
0: That's great. And coming back to you, Vic, because of your experience with small charities, you're probably the best person to ask. What other forms of support or networks for small charity leaders are there that you could advise people to check out?
2: A lot of what I see is informal peer to peer support. So there are a couple of really great Facebook groups, for example. There's a Facebook group called Small Charity CEOs, which is a safe space for CEOs and leaders uh, who are working in small charities for organizations that are working. Internationally in global solidarity, there's a Facebook group and an organization called Small International Development Charities Network. There are some infrastructure organizations that are still around for smaller organizations. And I'm sure I might be missing some off the list here, but the ones that I know of relate to kind of global development work, because that's my previous sector. There's Hub Cymru Africa in Wales, that's specifically for smaller organizations, There's the Southwest International Development Network that's got a lot of smaller members and, but but a lot of this peer support that I see is happening behind the scenes. It's happening when people kind of recognize that there isn't anything else happening in the sector. And so they're going to do it themselves. So from those Facebook groups, people have formed autonomously subgroups for specific subject areas or specific geographic areas. But the problem with this is that if you don't know this exists, how do you possibly find this? And there are so many, you know. although a lot of this peer support does exist, you only start to come across it when you already know a few people who are working in the sector who can tell you about it. And my concern is that we've got small charity leaders across the country who are sitting at their kitchen table on their own and they don't know anyone else who works in their sector and they don't know where to go because to a degree they've lost that lighthouse that Sarah described. So our work now is to work out, you know, how do we replace that? How do we make sure that small charity leaders know that there is a dedicated place for them to go and they don't have to kind of search the internet high and low to to find these places as sarah mentioned as part of small charity week last year or the year before i think it was um we curated a crowdsourced spreadsheet of support that's available for smaller organizations a combination of pro bono and low cost support and i think sarah said that's available on the ncvo website because there is a really great ecosystem of support available for smaller organizations a lot of help is out there there's a lot of freelancers and consultants and non-profits and individuals and organisations that exist to support small organisations, but they're quite hard to find. And that's one of the challenges that we've got, I think.
1: And hopefully one that being part of this very large umbrella organisation can help overcome. And Sarah, perhaps a last question for you. For any small charity leaders listening to this now... Do you have any thoughts on how they can help and how they can provide input to make sure that the services that NCVO is offering are tailored to their needs?
3: Yeah, I mean, I suppose my main message would be get involved with Small Charity Week. So while there'll be lots of support available, lots of training resources, Vic and Wayne, who's also helping with Small Charity Week, will be hosting a session specifically, which will be a listening exercise to understand more from the community about what they need, what they want, because the needs are changing all the time. Um, and we'd love to see as many people as possible come along to that. And anything longer term? We'd love to have more small organisations in our membership. We've already got 92% of our members are small charities, so we'd love them to get more involved in NCVO. Also, organisations that call our help desk day in, day out, you know, hundreds of organisations call us every month. Those calls also shape our support and our strategy and what we're doing next for organisations and I also know that the small charities advisory panel members would also love to hear from other small charity leaders in the sector that's a really important forum for listening for NCVO and for our partners in terms of how we develop and shape our strategy for small organisations.
1: Great Sarah Vibert Chief Executive of NCVO and Vic Hancock-Fell thank you both very much for speaking to us today. Thank you
2: thanks for having us.
3: Thank you thank you very much for having us.
1: Now we move on to Charity Changed My Life, in which we bring you the stories of people whose lives have been transformed for the better through the work of charities. This week, we hear from Sandy Nash about how her association with the Sobal House Hospice Charity has made a big difference to her life. I
4: have been about 13 years, I think, w- with the hospice. Currently, I am a volunteer and a trustee. I've lost a couple of friends in Sobel and I've currently got a friend who has just been given four months and she will end up in Sobel and she's my longest friend, about 50 years and that's why my interest has been retained, been involved in all sorts of fundraising projects to keep the show on the road if you like. I feel it's worth me volunteering a couple of days a week to keep that running to help people because when they come to Sobel they really need it. It's end of life care and the service is superb. From the day it opened it has always been the case that in the evening they take a drinks trolley round to the people who are ill. So here you are in a situation where life's not that good at the minute and in actual fact It's very short term, but do you know what? If you fancy a whiskey, you can have a whiskey. If you fancy a glass of beer, you can have a glass of beer. It brings a bit of normality into what isn't a normal situation, is it, for anybody? It's changed my life in as much as I work in the shops and you meet some wonderful people. You can also... Help those people who have just lost a mother or a father because they come in, they want to talk and tell you what a good job Sobel's done for them, how well their parent or friend was catered for. You just know that what you're doing is worthwhile and it makes you as an individual think, yeah, do you know, I'm contributing to that. I feel privileged to work at Sobel in any shape or form.
0: That was Sandy Nash, speaking about why it's important for her to volunteer for the Sobel House Hospice Charity in Oxfordshire. And if you would like your organization to be featured in Charity Changed My Life, Lucinda would love to hear from you. All it takes is a short voice message from someone who has benefited from your services submitted to our voice note mailbox. You can find the link to record your message and further guidance in the show notes to this episode. And that
1: brings us to the end of this week's episode. And Alina, also an end to your time on the Third Sector podcast. Indeed. So as we announced last week at our live recording, you will very sadly be leaving the Third Sector team. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? Um...
0: No, actually, just tears. (laughs) I'm joking. Thank you. It's been great to co-host with you for this past year. I've had a lot of fun. I've been learning all sorts of things about charities and beyond their beneficiaries and volunteers and all the stakeholders that take part of this wonderful sector. So I will definitely be taking a lot of stories with me wherever I go in the future. Yeah, well, we
1: look forward to seeing...
0: What happens to you next?
1: Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be back next week with Andy to speak to Sir Peter Wanless, Chief Executive of the NSPCC. But for now, thank you very much for listening, and thank you to Navpal, our producer.